readings today are going to be from 1 Peter 2, 4-10, as it has been the past few weeks. And the second will be from Deuteronomy 26, 16-19, on page 312. 1 Peter 2, 4-10. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone, and a stone that causes men to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And now Deuteronomy 26, 16 to 19. The Lord your God commands you this day to follow these decrees and laws. Carefully observe them with all your heart and with all your soul. You have declared this day that the Lord is your God and that you will walk in his ways, that you will keep his decrees, commands, and laws and that you will obey him. And the Lord has declared this day that you are his people, his treasured possession, as he promised, and that you are to keep all his commands. He has declared that he will set you in praise, fame, and honor, high above all the nations he has made, and that you will be a people holy to the Lord your God, as he promised. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Owen. So just briefly, the, uh, the series we're in is taking a look at some of those metaphors that were in the first Peter passage that Owen read for us. And, and last week we talked about a holy nation, being a holy nation, and we, we looked at how holiness is a gift given to us by the presence of God among us, specifically with Jesus Christ living among us. And that we are made holy not by what we do, but by what God has done in Jesus Christ. And coming out of that message, I actually gave us homework. So if you weren't here last week, you got a free week without the homework. But that homework, we had two questions. And the first one was to, to read the Gospels. Something from Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Just spend some time reading in the Gospels. And find one thing that you noticed Jesus doing. Or one thing you noticed about how Jesus treated other people. And so we're going to give each other a few minutes just to talk about something you've noticed from the Gospels about Jesus doing or about how he treated other people. And if you haven't read the Gospels and you didn't know the homework assignment was coming, this isn't a surprise quiz. You won't fail. All right? It's an okay opportunity just simply to share what you know, and if you don't know, just to listen to what others have to say. So turn to the people around you, 
This is freedom to talk in the middle of church, okay? Turn to the people around you. Share something that you have seen or heard about Jesus from the Gospels, okay? Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share a little bit. One of the things I encountered, I was reading uh, this morning uh, a story of, of Jesus raising Jairus' daughter. But right in the middle of the telling of that story, this, this woman who's been bleeding for many years reaches out and touches Jesus' clothes. And, and Jesus turns around and says, Who touched my clothes? And the whole crowd's like, what? What are you talking about? How, how can you know? And, and Jesus turns around and she's trembling and it says she was full of fear. And Jesus just looked at her and said, my daughter, your faith has healed you. Go and be well. And there was such gentleness in Jesus in a situation where she was obviously expecting to be condemned and judged. And she's given this incredible grace. And that just struck me about Jesus, that he has such a gentle response with people who are wounded and broken. If you didn't finish telling your story, it's a great story to pick up again when you leave the sanctuary and you grab your cup of coffee afterwards. So it gives you something to talk about afterwards today. Second question for last week was to write write out a note to somebody in this congregation that you have seen living like Jesus so that you caught a glimpse of Jesus in somebody else. Now, I'm not going to ask you to name names this morning and turn to your neighbor and go, well, I saw so-and-so and the other person, I saw so-and-so. But I do want you to say something that you have seen in someone else. So, for example, I heard of somebody I heard a story. Someone in this church told me a story about someone who came alongside them and said, can I help you with your taxes? And help them fill out all their taxes. And they were wrestling with, how do I do them? And it was such a gentle act of grace to reach out and help someone else. So I'm not naming names, but I am telling the story. And so I'm going to ask us just to tell the story. How have we seen somebody else act like Jesus in our midst? Okay, so turn and talk to each other again.
these gifts, again, I'm going to interrupt us and kind of keep us moving through, but, but these, these little things of these stories, these glimpses we catch of other people acting like Jesus, are really gifts from God to encourage us as we grow in holiness, as we learn together to live like Jesus to demonstrate his compassion and his grace, to respond to his gift of generosity to us with generosity towards the people around us. And so I hope that even though this is a small little thing, that it actually becomes part of the fabric of our community so that I don't have to say, hey, next week, write a note to somebody. We just start doing it. We start writing notes and finding ways to affirm each other and build each other up because of the grace of Christ that is alive and active among us. This week, we're moving to the next metaphor that's in the passage. And, and it uses language, depending on which translation you read, uh, of special possession or of God's own people or belonging to God. And it has a deep history in Scripture that we'll, we'll take a peek at this morning through the Deuteronomy passage. So three things we're really going to talk about briefly this morning. One is a, a treasured possession in that language that comes out of Deuteronomy 26. Um, the language that's in the, Ephesian, or the first Peter passage has the idea of being acquired at great cost, and so we'll talk about that briefly. And then we'll ask at the end, how then shall we live? But before we get there, I want one more question, one more opportunity for you to talk together. I know that's a lot of talking for you this morning. But one more opportunity to talk together. I want you to tell somebody near you, what, what is something that you treasure? What do you treasure? Something you treasure. Okay? Go ahead. So, because I have the microphone, I'm actually going to abuse my privilege a little bit and tell you three things. It's like show and tell, okay? So this is one of the things I've treasured since I was about 10 years old. It's a Sandy Koufax Rookie Year baseball card. Okay? I bought it for about $15 back in 82 or 83. It was, it was with hard-earned birthday money, right? You keep that money, you treasure that money, but I went out and bought this baseball card. If it was in mint condition, I'm told it's worth about $13,000 now. This is not in mint condition. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but this is, this is one of the more valuable cards people, collectors like this. And I, I treasure this card, and I treasure it so much, I keep it in a box in the bottom corner of my closet. Don't we do that sometimes with our treasures? We hide them away. This one stays hidden away. And now that you've seen it, it's going away again. 
This is another thing I treasure. It may not look like it, but this is actually the third copy of this I have owned because the other two I have worn out so that pages are no longer readable. I had this as a kid. I loved this book. I read it to my kids to the point that pages would be torn and crinkled and all that, and so I bought another copy as an adult. The night Max wore his wolf suit and made mischief of one kind and another right? That's a beautiful story. There is so much in this story that I appreciate. If you don't know it, the story does have this movement and flow to it that actually imitates or reverberates with the story of the prodigal son. That's in the background here. I don't know if Sendek meant that, but you can hear it in the background. Someone who rejects his family and runs away and then is brought back by grace and received with grace, grace that was not expected. And I treasure that storyline and this telling of it. It's one other thing I treasure. All right? Golf club. Those of you who can see it, while you can see it's kind of chipped and beat up, this actually is not mine. Well, wasn't mine. It is now. This was my dad's. And my dad gave it to me towards the end of his life when he said, I am done playing golf. And I have several of his golf clubs that sit in a bag in my garage. And occasionally, if I go out golfing, I'll take this one with. It's the three wood. And it, it is awful to play with. <laughs> but, I'll, but I'll hit one off the tee with it as a way of remembering my dad and remembering some of those relationship contexts I had with him. Treasuring. We have a whole variety of ways that we treasure things, don't we? Some of them we keep as as hidden possessions and and we hold on to and, and we don't really want to get rid of them. Some of them have sentimental value because they remind us of our childhood and and stories we heard as kids and others Others take on meaning because they're given to us. And this morning, I want us more towards that last one. More towards that last one of of something that's been given to us. And we'll discover together it's a bit of an identity that God has given. A treasured possession from Deuteronomy 26 It's actually rooted in mutual declarations and promises that are being made. We could say it's similar to what we just did with Olivia here. There's declarations by her parents, there's declarations by us, and there's a declaration by God saying this community and God himself is wrapping his arms around Olivia and saying, you are mine. It's similar in this passage, the way it plays out, to marriage vows. You know, it's a little nerve-wracking, and I did have this thought when my wife and I were getting married, and I'm up there, and I've got to say the vows. I'm going first, and that thought goes through my head after I say it first. What if she doesn't say anything back? Right? All right, be honest, guys. How many of you had that thought? There's a few of you. What if she doesn't say anything back, right? There, there is, she did. But, <laughs> but there is that moment of, what? Ah. There's an act of trust 
that's being given. There's a commitment and a pledge that's being made that you desire for it to be reciprocated. And in this text, we hear the culmination of God who has been promising all the way through Deuteronomy to love his people and to be with them. And the language he chooses here to say, you are my treasured possession is different than the other time he mentioned it in in Deuteronomy where he said, you will be my treasured possession. He's arrived at a point with his people where he's saying, no, this is who you are. You are now, right here, right now, my people. I choose you. And he's not waiting for their response. He's in fact giving them a new identity. You are my chosen one because I have decided to choose you. And he puts with it this language of treasured. Treasured possession. Now some of us see that word possession and we think, oh, you're treating me like an object, right? But that's not the intent here. It has more the idea of belonging. You are my treasured belonging with me person. You are the one who, who is associated with me and, and, and is supposed to be with me, identified with me. In fact, the only time this form of the word is used in the Hebrew in the Old Testament is when it's used to say God treasures his people Israel. The word for treasure is used for gold and silver, but there's a particular form that's being used here that comes up as God treasuring his people Israel. It has this, this weight to it of you are you're the most valuable you're, you're the most, most adored. You're the most, you're the most. <laughs> I choose you. I want you. It's an incredible gift, in part because of the context. You've got to remember, the book of Deuteronomy is being written to a people or given to a people who have been wandering in the desert for 40 years. And they've been wandering in that desert because they've refused to trust God. God said, come with me. I've got a whole land for you filled with milk and honey. It is a beautiful land. Come. And they got there and they went, "Uh uh-uh, those people are too big. We're not going. And their statement of those people are too big was also another way of saying, God, you're too small. We don't trust you, God. And for 40 years, they've wandered in the desert as a consequence of not trusting God. And here in that context, God is saying, even though you have not trusted me, you are my treasured. The Song of Solomon uses a different word, beloved. You are my beloved. But it's also remarkable because of what comes next. They're about to enter the promised land. And you know what happens in that promised land? They take God for granted. (laughs) They take him for granted so much that within a couple generations, the land is full of idols again. And the people of God who have been claimed by God, who saw God deliver them out of Egypt, get into the land and they go, look at everything we've made for ourselves. And right in the middle of that, between the lack of trust that was before And the taking God for granted and walking away from God that will happen later, God is saying, knowing what what has happened and what is yet to come, I still choose you. 
don't know about you, but I find a whole lot of comfort in that. A God who knows my past, who knows the ways I've disobeyed him, the ways I've been filled with worry and anxiety and I've refused to trust him. A God who knows how I will sin in the future and that even on my best days, I will still fall short. And right in that context, he says, I still choose you. You're still my treasured possession. You still belong with me. I love you. Do you hear the grace? God's affection is the real context of this. The real emphasis of what's happening here is God who has affection on his people. He actually uses that language a couple other times early in Deuteronomy. Just as I had affection on your forefathers, so I have affection on you. And he calls them into a new way of life, not based on rules and regulations to try and reach God, but as a response to God's affection. To be God's treasured possession is to be one who is beloved by God, even knowing our past, and knowing our future. A God who loves us and pledges himself to us no matter what. The language in the first Peter passage adds a depth to this. You ever been in those, those situations where it feels like all words and no action? You can have some of those lovey-dovey love letters, right? You know, the, it's kind of the, the first love crush infatuation and, and you're all excited, and, but you realize when times get tough, it doesn't necessarily carry through. It's great feeling in the moment, but it doesn't, it doesn't have the depth to it to carry you through the hard times. Well, this passage in 1 Peter, the way the way Peter's constructing it is, is you are a people who have become a possession. It has the idea of, of something of special value and several of the commentators talk about how it has with it the idea that they've gone out and acquired it at great cost. Something that, that really took a lot of resources to gather together and to bring into your possession. You are a people who've been acquired not with fluffy sentimental words but with sacrificial action. A God who has come alongside said, I am going to be with you no matter what. And that no matter what meant his own son dying on a cross to draw us to himself, to bring us in. We have been acquired at a great price, and that great price is the life of Jesus Christ. In a moment, what we're going to do is, is celebrate and remember that gift of God's love to us as we taste the bread and the cup. It'll be a tangible way of remembering together the affection of God. That God loves us so much, not just with sentimental words, but with his very life. That he who was not sin, 
became sin for us, taking upon himself the full penalty for all of our sins, that all of us together and the whole world might be reconciled to God, that we might be made right with God, that we might be restored in relationship with God. Paul's reflecting on this idea and he writes it this way. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? God loves us so much that he gave his one and only son. And whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. We would really be reconciled with God. I want us just to stop. One of the ways we recognize how much somebody loves us is by the types of gifts they give us. It might be the gift of time. Sometimes we don't want them to give us as much time as they do. Right? But it might be the gift of time. It might be that they're physically affectionate towards us. It, it might be that they write us words. It might be that they buy us gifts. And that's how the jewelry business stays in business, isn't it? Telling you each year you've got to buy another bigger, more expensive piece of jewelry to show how much you love the other person. But here God's saying, I have given everything including my son, so that you might know how much I treasure you. We are treasured by God. Great thing is, he doesn't stick us in a closet like my baseball card. He doesn't take us out once in a while for a sentimental swing of a golf club. He actually writes us into his story and into his family. He says, I want you to be with me and be part of me. I want to be where you are and you to be where I am. That's what Jesus left his disciples with, isn't it? As Jesus was about to be betrayed, he's at the end of that time and, and about to lay down his life. Death's the night before he does that. He's sitting around with his disciples and he says, I'm going ahead of you to make a room for you in my Father's house so that you can come and join me someday. That you can be with me. Jesus has the Father's affection in him and it spills out. So that he's saying it to his disciples that the big desire, the great desire is that you would be with me. And the end of the story, if we were to jump all the way to the end of Revelation, it ends with this incredible promise of no more dying, no more crying, no more pain, no more death. But right before it says all that, it says God's going to dwell with us and we're going to dwell with God. The great promise is that God's affection wraps us into his family and into his home and says, you're mine, you belong with me now and forever. That's how much I treasure you. One of my mentors tells the story of being 19 years old hopping on a motorcycle with a friend of his. They had two motorcycles and they were going to head out west in the States. 
kind of, kind of we're leaving family behind, we're leaving everything behind, we're going to go do whatever we want to do. It was the summer bike tour. You're going out. And as he's on the bike in the driveway, his dad walks up to him. says, Dave, remember whose you are. That's all he said. Turned around, walked back inside. That was the goodbye. Dave said from that moment on, it wrecked every plan he had for the summer. (laughs) All summer long, that little statement reverberated through his head and through his heart. Remember whose you are. And for us this morning, as we enter our day-to-day living, whether it's in the midst of suffering and pain, whether it's in the midst of joy and delight, whether it's in the midst of our own rebellion, God is speaking to us and saying, remember whose you are. You're my treasured possession. You are the one I love. You are the ones I have chosen. You are my people. You are beloved. So this morning... I want us to live into the end of what comes at the Heidelberg Catechism question and answer one. And I want to just give us a few moments to reflect on the end of it. So it begins with the belonging language. We're God's treasured possession, right? What is your only comfort in life and in death? There's the belonging piece. Check out how much God treasures us. He is fully paid for all my sins. As a guy whose hair is starting to drop out, (laughs) that's comforting. God pays so close attention to us. He treasures us so much that he even watches over the hairs on our head. He's that in tune with what's happening to us. He loves us that deeply. And this is the response we're called to. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, I keep telling Henny, one of these days I'm just going to get tattoos on my hands. One's going to say willing and one's going to say ready. Just to remember visually the end of this. Because it's so much easier to stop at all this of what God's done for me and say, ah, but he's done all that and then he adds to it and says, actually, I want you to come work with me too. I don't know about you or if you ever had an experience like this, but I can distinctly remember a day my dad invited me to go to work with him. We ended up at a Detroit Tigers baseball game at the end of the day. That's probably why I remember it most. But I do remember going to work with him to appraise all these damaged cars. It was part of his job. He worked for an insurance company. He went out, appraised all the wrecks, gave a value, wrote off the ones they could. 
and I got to walk around with them for the day. And there was something of delight in that, of being able to walk with my dad while he was doing his work. And that's exactly what the end of this is telling us. And that's exactly what Scripture says to us. You're God's treasured possession, and he wants you to come hang out with him. He wants you to come to work with him. He wants you to come enjoy what he does. Come be with the Lord. So this question to close us off. Since we are God's treasured ones, how then will we live? How are we going to go to work with our daddy? What's it going to look like? Maybe to prompt us a little bit. Some of us, actually all of us, could use to read and reread the story of God's affection for us. To read it again and again just to remind ourselves. You know, we have letters in the bottom of our closet that sit in a box. And, and I could say it, they're all letters I wrote to Henny that we've kept, but actually some of them that Henny's written to me we've kept too. And time and again, we pull them out. And you simply read them. Not because you've forgotten, but because you want to remember even more. And you want to pay attention to the details even more. And you, you want to live into that space again. And there's something of that of reading and rereading scripture. We're entering into this grand story of God's affection for us. And so if we're going to go to work with our daddy, part of it is learning to remember how deeply our daddy treasures us and to read and reread the story of God's affection. Along the way, we need to make some space for permagrin. Anybody know what permagrin is? Wow. Permagrin is that smile you get when you've fallen in love and you don't want to say it yet. You can't hide it from the people around you. It also happens to people who are married and they're about two months after their wedding day and you still see them walking around with that glow on their face and that just cheesy smile. That's permagrin. That's also a way of viewing worship. We come in together as God's beloved treasured people. And part of what we do as we gather together and hang out with God is we worship. We allow that permagrin to seep up, to smile and delight. We also hold nothing back. You know, if you know that someone loves you deeply, if you know that you can count on them 100%, you don't have a difficult time saying the hard words. You can say them freely with each other. And so we're invited into this belovedness with God, this being treasured by God that gives us permission to pray the Psalms. God, where are you? Gives us permission to pray the Psalms. My soul is thirsty and downcast. Gives us permission to be real because God loves us so deeply. And finally, when we're treasured, when we realize we are so deeply and completely loved by God, it gives us the freedom to treasure others. That's where we start to go to work with our daddy. As we receive this incredible love from God, that it transforms our relationship with God in such a way that we are confident enough that we can go out and treasure others.
Let's pray. Thank you for this rich and incredible love you have given to us. Thank you for the way you have treasured us and held nothing back from us, including your son, Jesus Christ. What an incredible gift. We pray that you would reconcile us through that love in such a way that you would heal our wounds, teach us to trust you again, and and to follow you with all of our heart and with all of our lives. Fill us with such joy that we get a permagrim whenever we think of you and talk about you. Give us the freedom, Lord, to bring the heavy and hard stuff before you. Most of all, Lord, help us to live in the light of your treasuring us so that we turn around and treasure others. We pray this in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen. Going to invite us to sing how deep the Father's love for us.